Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? We've got the cure. Three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. <laughs> New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Hi, reader. It's so good to see you. We're very hard at work on a third season of Reading Bug Adventures, and I hope you're as excited as I am to visit some of the amazing new places together. While we wait, though, we're going to periodically post new bonus episodes like this one, visiting with some of our favorite authors. We're extremely lucky to have authors visit our store and nearby schools, and we want to make sure you get a chance to meet them, too. So, while these episodes may not be as action-packed as our adventures together, they are a great opportunity to meet some of the authors who inspire our adventures and to learn all about what they've written and how they write. On this episode, we get to meet Daniel Jose Older, whose book, Dactyl Hill Squad, definitely helped inspire our dinosaur adventure in season two. Daniel is a New York Times bestselling author, and his other books include Salsa Nocturna, The Bone Street Rumba, a fantasy series, and the young adult novel, Shadow Shaper. Reader, are you ready to hear from Daniel? And what are we waiting for? Let's fly to our bookstore together. It's time for a Reading Bug Adventures author visit. some fun scenes from Daniel Jose Older's new book, Dactyl Hill Squad, before he arrives. Oh, what fun! I'm pretty excited to interview Daniel today, aren't you? Did you know that he's visiting us from New Orleans, where he lives, and that in addition to writing books, Daniel's also a musician and a composer? I've always wanted to visit New Orleans. Maybe we can go there on one of our adventures. It's a city with a lot of history. It sure is but I'm really interested in talking with Daniel about dinosaurs today. In Dactyl Hill Squad, dinosaurs live alongside the kids in the story. They even get to ride on the pterodactyls. It's such a unique and exciting story. I wonder what Daniel's favorite dinosaur is, or how he even got the idea to write such an imaginative book. I have so many questions. Well, you're gonna get a chance to ask them because here comes Daniel now. Oh, great! Hi, Daniel! 
Oh, hey, Reading Bug. Thanks for coming to talk with us today. Yes. Hi, Daniel. For everyone listening, we're here today with Daniel Jose Older, a New York Times best-selling author of young adult and adult titles such as the Bone Street Rumba Urban Fantasy Series and Shadow Shaper. And now his new middle grade historical fantasy novel, Dactyl Hill Squad, which is the beginning of a very great new series for middle grade readers. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much for Thank coming Thank you today. so much. It's great to be here. So, Daniel, we'll get into Dactyl Hill in just a minute, mm -hmm. but first I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background and how you became a writer. Ah, uh, well, I've always loved to write stories, but I've also always loved to draw. So when I was a kid, I was that kid that always had a pad and pen, and I would just draw everything everywhere, and especially monsters. So I would make up monsters, I would draw dinosaurs, I, I, for some reason I love drawing giant tortoises, so I did that <laughs> a lot, I have no idea why. And so, um, and sometimes when I do school presentations, I show pictures of my drawings when I was a kid. And then that turned into a love of music. And so I did a lot of music in my 20s. And I was still, though, um, always I was telling stories. And I think that's really the thread throughout. And, and so at some point I said, you know, let me try just writing stories. And I'd always love to write, too. So that felt very natural. And that's how I became a writer. Nice. So... Um you mentioned jazz. Mm -hmm. You compose as well. Do you do a lot do. of writing music? Uh, not enough recently. Okay. I did it, like I said, more in my 20s. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was hard to pay the rent doing it. I was a paramedic at the same time, so I was working on an ambulance, um, and that helped, but I also wanted to get out the ambulance. So I love music, and right now I'm trying to teach myself piano, which is really hard, um, but it's always just a really fun way to let my mind do something besides words, which I think is important to have balance. You know, so I'll write, I'll, you know, a lot. I write uh, constantly, and I love writing, but sometimes you have to do something different, and music works a different part of your brain. It sure does. Lauren and I love music and singing, don't we? Hey, Daniel. Who are your favorite jazz musicians? Ooh, okay. My favorite, I think my favorite pianist of all time, um, his name is Bebo Valdez, a Cuban pianist. Um, his son Chucho also plays piano. Um, Bebo passed a couple years ago. I mean, it sounds like he's singing when he plays piano. And he doesn't use a lot of notes. It's almost very sparse and it's so beautiful. And yeah, I think he's my number one favorite. So besides piano, if you had to pick another instrument, what would be your next favorite oh. if you could play it? Well, actually, the instruments I do, I play guitar and bass. And so those are the ones that I know how to play for real. Um, so I, I, I learned a little bit of piano to compose with because that's the easiest to compose. With. I think I find it the most straightforward. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just really want to learn. <laughs> I, you know what I love, though, the most is the stand-up bass, which I don't have one. I have an electric bass, but stand-up basses are so beautiful. I went into a store the other day while I was on tour, and they had one out. So I just got to play it for a couple seconds, and it was like, oh, that sound is so rich. Like, just one note sounds like a whole song. That's so neat. Yeah. I always wanted to be able to play instruments, but I always found that if you start really, really young... right. It comes almost naturally. Do you find oh, yeah, that as totally. as you get older, it's harder to learn? Probably. <laughs> I think it is really hard. I mean, I'm also trying to do it myself right now, so I don't have a teacher, so that makes it harder. Right. Um, but it's coming. It's just yeah, it's coming really slowly, yeah. and it's like. But you know, again, it's also. I think it's really good to be bad at something. Um, it's hard to do, especially as adults. We're so used to sort of like you know, we know how to read, we know how to talk really well. Sometimes, not all, not all the time, not all adults. Um, but we have a lot of stuff we're good at. And I think it's good to challenge ourselves sometimes, you know, and like just struggle and, and be in a place where we're not an expert at something just to remember what that feels like. It takes a lot of patience. I mean, for to learn an instrument, it takes a lot of patience to write a book. And speaking of 
patience in writing a book. <laughs> what kind of drafts do you go through before something mm. goes to an editor? That is a great question. And I actually don't even say this a lot, but I usually um, do one draft. <laughs> one which draft. Which is unusual. Um, but I, it's kind of cheating because actually what I'll do is as I'm writing, um, and I don't like to outline um, for me, and some writers will make a very meticulous outline and sort of fill it all in so they know everything that's going to happen beat by beat, chapter by chapter. I don't like to do that because it takes the fun out of it for me. Because when I write, I want to find out what happens next as I write. So I'll totally surprise myself. Like, characters will literally get killed <laughs> that I didn't know were going to die. And I'm like, oh, no! You know. So then I have to keep writing. And that sort of becomes the momentum to keep going. The drive is like, let me find out what happens. So that. Um, but then as I'm writing and I realize things have to change earlier based on something that happens later, I'll go back and I'll put a note in that chapter. And I'll be like, you know, when you come back, remember to kill off this character or whatever I have to do. <laughs> and so then then as soon as I, I know, I'll write straight from start to finish. And as soon as I get to the end, I'll jump to the beginning again and go chapter by chapter and see what notes I left for myself and make changes. So that's almost like a draft and a half. And then usually then it's done. I'll put it away for a while. I'll come back and read it all the way through, make any changes I have to make, and then submit it. Okay. So are you one of those that will stay up all night long writing because you have an idea in your head? How many hours in a row have you spent writing? Usually I do. um, I used to be a night writer because I was nocturnal and my shift on the ambulance was the midnight shift, the graveyard shift, as we say. So it was 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And so I was already a night person, so I would just stay up all night writing. And there's something very romantic when you're young about writing all night. And then you get old. and (laughs) Not that I'm old, but you know. (laughs) Not so much fun anymore. And And then you get a day shift and then you're not a night person anymore. So yeah. It's not only not fun, but also, yeah, no. So I usually just will get up and eat breakfast and try to write a thousand words. And then I'll break for lunch and I'll try to write another thousand words. If I'm really on the go on a particular project, that's kind of what I aim for. And I know if I keep doing that and keep doing that day after day, eventually I'll have a book. Mm -hmm. Now, I also want to say that I don't write every single day. And I think it's really important not to write every day because it's very important to live your life and to do some days you're not gonna you know you have school you have work you have homework there's days that it's not gonna happen you have to spend time with your family um and i think that's really important because there are uh, writers out there who will give that advice that you have to write every single day you're not a writer that's not true you're a writer because you write having a book out doesn't make you a writer having a degree doesn't make you a writer writing is what makes you a writer period if you write in your journal you're still a writer great advice Do you write even better after you've taken a little time off? Absolutely. Sometimes. Um, The problem is because we've been so drilled with that idea that if you don't write every day, you're not a writer, it's very easy to let shame creep into your process. And instead of sitting down and feeling creative, you sit down and you're like, you know, oh, I haven't been writing yesterday, so now I just feel bad about it. I'm not going to write well today. All this stuff, you know. And it's like the more you can clear your head of that, Yes, you can. then you can enjoy the day off instead of feeling bad about yourself. And then when you sit down, you'll be refreshed and you'll be creative because shame and creativity don't get along. Shame and creativity don't get along. Great advice. Thanks so much for that. Now, I don't want to be too pushy, but can we please talk about Dactyl Hill Squad now? I loved it so much and I can't wait to learn more. All right, so let's talk about Dactyl Hill yes, Squad. Definitely. So you've been writing for grown-ups and teens for a while, and yep. this is your first foray into the middle grade area. Mm-hmm. So we all know that I think, you know, kids have this tremendous growth and change in each of these years. And definitely. 
I'm wondering what it was like to change from that upper level town to an eight to twelve year old.、Mm, I actually really, really enjoyed it. It felt totally natural to me, which I didn't expect. But I probably should have seen it coming. Early drafts of Shadow Shaper feel really middle grade.、Mm-hmm. That Shadow Shaper is a book that I rewrote many times. It was my first book that I wrote, so I just picked up pieces and put them back together. And it was a very long. It was like a seven year process.、Um, but yeah, early on, it felt very middle grade. Um, and then I aged it up as I wrote, so it was kind of like returning a little bit to that vibe. And I think I'm probably an 11 year old at heart, so、mm-hmm. I just tuned into that part of myself. And when we write, we think about the, there's an editor part of our brain, and there's a writer part of our brain, and then there's also a reader part of our brain. So for the for this book especially, I was really thinking like, what does 11 year old me want to happen next, or want to know what will happen next? And I would just keep going that way, and it was just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So if You chose dinosaurs, yeah, and I know you like drawing dinosaurs and monsters and things now. But why? Why did you choose dinosaurs for this one? Were you thinking about any other mythical, magical creatures? Or <laughs> the simple answer is because dinosaurs rock. Like, <laughs>、exactly. really, like it's like obviously dinosaurs, but、um, but no, it's a good question, and it honestly it didn't occur to me. It's just just like well, of course, like I don't know why. There's no real like good answer,、um, except I you know I knew I wanted to. Bring a fantastical element in because I'm a fantasy writer, so I love history.、Um, but I love history even more when I can add something that makes it really imaginative on another level.、Um, and for some reason, it was just obviously dinosaurs from jump. It wasn't until I was trying to sell it to publishers, and some people were like,、um, "You know, could it be something else?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> it could not、no. be something else. Well, to be fair, they were trying to get it to be something more mundane, and I was like, it really has to have this fantastical element. Like、mm-hmm. they have to be something that they can fly on the back of and go into war with, and and I wanted something with a whole. I mean, dinosaurs cover so much ground. There's tiny dinosaurs. There's flying pterosaurs, which aren't dinosaurs, but close. There's ones that go in the water. There's all kinds of creatures in that world already. I mean, they have their own Wikipedia. You know, what I mean, like it's already like a fantasy realm, but it's real. So it just, I just got so excited about it, and that's what it had to be. That's what I, I thought was so interesting about this is to to put historical fiction right with fantasy right and make it work. It's like, how is that going to happen? And it does. <laughs> Thank you. And it really does. I mean, these kids are riding dinosaurs during the Civil War. Yeah. And. So the Civil War itself was that the war you wanted to write about? Was there a specific time that you liked better in history to write about than others? Or it was that,、um, and that happened because I was I was doing another project.、Um, I was actually writing a rock opera about Brooklyn and, and during that time period,、and、because there's all these fascinating sort of lost stories about Brooklyn, really all over the country, especially people of color. Like so much of our history has just been ripped away. Um, whether it was documented and destroyed or not documented at all,、um, a lot of this whole project has just been about finding and you know finding histories that have been hidden and and using our imaginations to kind of even grow them further, right? So I was exploring Brooklyn in that period in the 1860s, and I stumbled on information about the Colored Orphans Asylum, which is in Manhattan, but was around at that time, and about communities that had escaped Manhattan and started their own thing in Brooklyn, and I thought it was so fascinating. And then I was like, "Oh man!" And there was a whole war going on at that period too. And I was like, "Shoot!" And I actually at that time didn't know that much about the Civil War, but I got totally into just reading about it and finding out more about it. In part because I found this little entry about a group of six girls that were dropped off from Cuba at the Colored Orphan Asylum, mysteriously, and then months later whisked away by this man, and they were presumed to be enslaved. 
and brought back to Cuba. But there's nothing else about them. It's just this tiny little thing. And there was a book I was reading called In the Shadow of Slavery that just mentioned it. And it was like, boom, like something just exploded. And I was like, whoa, we like Cubans were there back then, which you never hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they're very different than me in so many ways, it was still this moment of connection that was like, wow, we were there somehow. And so from that, it really, I was like, whoa, there's so much to explore in this time period. And then everything happened after that. Let's talk a little bit about diversity in books and the mm-hmm. importance of diversity in books. Yeah. Every kid wants to be able to see themselves in a story. Right. Um, what does that mean to you and what have you done in your books to to include everyone? I always think of the diversity question really as a question about like, are we telling the truth about our world or not? That's what it comes down to for me. And I think like the ultimate job of literature as a whole is to tell the truth. And I think that it's ultimately, as a whole, it has failed at that job for a long time um, by leaving a lot of people out of the story, whether it's because they're people of color, differently abled, um, queer. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't get repped. And I think that's a tragedy and a human rights crisis, really. Because if you can't see yourself as a hero on the page, how are you going to see yourself as a hero in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And sure, like a lot of us as kids learned to translate. And so we would see a hero that wasn't us and we would figure out, uh, we would imagine in our heads, you know, what if we, what if they did look like us or what if we could? Um, but at a certain point, you feel like the books don't love you back. Mm-hmm. And, and so you walk away sometimes, you know. So in this conversation, we also have to talk about the way that we blame readers for, you know, not reading enough. And the reality is that the books aren't there for them to really speak to them on the same level as the books speak to other kids. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation. And it's really exciting to see it changing right now. And you see, like, just authors of all different cultures, um, of all different, you know, just places and and people and everything else and, and gender and sexuality just being amazing and writing amazing books and getting out there and and. And selling a lot of books, you know, being on the New York Times list over and over. And it's incredible. And I just, I feel really blessed to be alive in that time. There's still a long way to go, but a lot of work and a lot of things have happened in the past couple of years because writers have stood up and and been activists at the same time. Mm -hmm. And people actually, like uh, I wanted to mention Jacqueline Woodson, who Mm -hmm. actually gave you you a a wonderful quote um, that I wanted to read. And Jacqueline Woodson, for those of you who don't know, is the national ambassador for young people's literature this year, which is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. She's so great. Yeah. And she uh, said this about Dactyl Hill Squad. Daniel has imagined the unimaginable and in doing so sends readers on a dino thrill ride. I have been talking about this book nonstop. The kids, the dinosaurs, the Civil War, the book is true fire. It is everything I didn't even know I needed. It's a pretty great quote. It's <laughs> <is> pretty awesome. <laughs> She's amazing. I mean, she is like a hero to so many of us. Yeah. Uh, she, I always think of her as like the um, kids book writer, very godmother. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like She's just so, her, her work is so brilliant and she's so like giving with her time and her attention and but, you know, just being who she is, that, that blurb really meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. I want to go back for a second and talk about uh, where you live now. Yes. Let's talk about New Orleans. Yes. New Orleans has just always been one of my favorite cities. I first went there when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. I fell in love with it. And I didn't want to leave, but I was on this um, cross-country trek to San Francisco, as a matter of fact. And I was like, I really got to get to I really said I was going to go there. So I kept it moving. But I've been coming back ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, for the, every, yeah, just every couple of years or then increasingly. And it's just a city that has always called me and I always wanted to live there. 
And then just the moment arrived. So I was like, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> so some favorite places in New Orleans for our listeners? Ah, well, all the cemeteries are very amazing yes. because they're above ground cemeteries, which means they have the big tombstones sticking up and, you know, crypts. And it's really just, uh, they feel very magical. Um, I also love the river. The Mississippi River goes right through there and, in fact, rounds a bend right there. Um, and there's a river boat. There's a bunch of river boats um, that, that are really great, but they have one of the only steamboats left in the country there. And you can ride it, and they have a jazz band, and they have dinner, and it's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and then just honestly, anywhere you eat mm-hmm. is amazing. Like, there's no bad food in New Orleans, barely. Like, you go to, go to a gas station and get an incredible meal. And then lastly, there's, of course, just so much music. Yes. Like music, music everywhere and music in the street, music in the clubs. There'll be streets you can walk down and there's just music blaring out of like five or ten different clubs right there. Um, One of my favorites called The Prime Example, um, which is just such great jazz every night. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the pleasure of going last summer and hearing all the jazz just on the streets. Yes. It's so cool. It's everywhere. What a neat place. Yeah. And there's no other American city like it. Really, there's no other city in the world like it. Um, But especially in America, it seems really difficult to get just easily accessible live music. Yeah. But New Orleans is just full of it. I thought the history of New Orleans was pretty incredible, too. Yes. Do you ever want to write a book about something in New As Orleans? As a matter of fact, in book two of Dactyl Hill Squad, they end up going down south into the middle of the Civil War. So they um, first stop in Tennessee, where there's some battles taking place. Um, the Battle of Chickamauga, um, right outside of Chattanooga. Um, but towards the end of the book, spoiler, they do end up in Louisiana and in New nice. Orleans. Because I had to. Like, yes. New Orleans has such a rich history. Everybody in New Orleans is a historian. They know tons about their city. And there's a fascinating um, chapter of New Orleans history, which was happening during the Civil War, mm-hmm. um, which we get into some in the second book of Dactyl Hill Squad. That's exciting. Do we know when that's coming out yet? We do, in the spring. <gasps> in the spring. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sometimes. it's a nine-month swing. It's Excellent. like, the book is done. Ooh. And like they're almost, we're working on the cover right now. So, so listeners exciting. will not have to wait too long for the uh, second book if you're getting the first book now. Yes. Uh, so you have a really neat... Thing on your website where people can communicate with you it looks like is there yeah. a little so mm-hmm. you you and do you message people often i do that comes right to my direct email so i tend to um, respond to those yeah. great you heard him daniel loves getting feedback and questions from you visit danieljoseolder.net and send him a note great yeah, and yeah and i think kid um reviews are the best thing in the world i love when kids have something to say about a book because kids are super real with it they mm-hmm. don't you know they don't sugarcoat it um, they tell you what they like. They tell you what they didn't like. And that's what, you know, we authors appreciate that, yeah. to be totally honest. It's yeah. good. Daniel, anything else on your website we should know about? There is a Dactyl Hill Squad video game Oh. on the Scholastic website. It is free. And it is really, really good. Do you play it? I do. I play it all the time. I love it. It's so much fun. You're basically, you get to be Magdalise on a pterodactyl flying through the streets of New York being chased by a T-Rex. And you just, it's kind of like a mind runner, one of those games. Yes. Where you're like running, constantly moving, but you're flying. And you have to collect scrolls to help find the other orphans. And you're being chased. And it's really, really fun. That's really so neat. If you go to scholastic.com slash dactyl hill squad, you can play it. 
scholastic.com slash dactyl hill squad and yes. get that video that's so, you know one thing i actually think is really fun with a book is when there's something added on that yeah. you can go to after you finish the story exactly you know and it's right. it's it's so nice to have that extra arm of like oh gosh i just finished right. this book it's so sad it's done right where do i go right. now right and now there's a game to play right until the next book comes out and the other thing I always forget to say, which is really important, is that also at the back of Dactyl Hill, when you finish reading the story, there's a note that explains everything that is real and everything that is fantasy and, it, and gives more information about the historical time period mm -hmm. and all that, which I think is really important because, first of all, you don't want kids running around thinking that there were actually dinosaurs during the Civil War, which right. I'm sure most don't. But, um, but it could also, be confusing. Exactly. You know, you never know. But um, it means it can be used as a resource in schools. Yeah. You know, it is actually like very grounded, way more grounded in historical fact than I actually intended it to be but I got so fascinated by the history that it just you know there's so much there so there's a lot of explanation about things that were really going on nice oh I forgot what's your favorite dinosaur oh yeah I know and I'm always this is terrible because my favorite dinosaur is not actually a dinosaur it's a pterosaur and it is a pterodactyl mm. I love pterodactyls and I would love to fly on the back of a pterodactyl but anyway my second favorite actual dinosaur is probably a raptor Nice. Yeah. Okay. Are you so, ready for this one? Yes. So, have you ever heard of this dinosaur before? Let's see if I can say the name Quetzalcoatlus. Yes. I had never heard of this They're before. They're amazing. Yeah. But this is actually in our episode um, of Reading Bug Adventures. And cool. the Quetzalcoatlus is one of the main dinosaurs in there. Oh, cool. Actually, Lauren, it's a pterosaur like the pterodactyl. Of course. Thanks for that reading bug. But there's a similar um, dino called an Archaeopteryx, which is feathered and and it looks in a lot of ways like kind of a pheasant, but it has a really angry reptile head. And they show up in book two quite a bit. Oh, neat. Yes, there's a lot more dinos in book two. We should make the kids together. read it aloud and try, try to name right, it. Try to say, <laughs> right, because you know they've been correcting each other. Exactly. Because the one thing I know about kids is they know more than I do exactly. about dinosaurs. I had kids coming, you know, giving me more information of stuff I didn't know even today, which was really cool. I love it. Nice. It's so much to learn. So Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older is available now at thereadingbug.com or your local independent bookstore. And if you subscribe to our monthly subscription box service, Reading Bug Box, which ships a nation wide you might get a copy in your next box if your interests match up so you can visit readingbugbox.com for details with that daniel thank you so much for being with us today one last question yes if there were one piece of advice that you would give to a child who would like to become an author mm. what would it be well i already said mainly usually what i answer is that it, that you don't have to write every day because mm -hmm. i think that's a common misconception um, but i would also say you know there's a thing that we call in publishing writing to the trend, mm -hmm. which means that, you know, vampires are really cool, so I'm going to write a vampire book because they're publishing those a lot. I would say don't do that. I would say write, you know, what really stirs your heart and write it really well. You know, learn the craft of writing really well and, you know, pay attention to all the de details that make a story work and things like that. And if you write something with passion, like, that's what's going to speak to people. Mm -hmm. Because remember, before... Vampires were cool. Vampires were not cool. Nobody mm -hmm. wanted to read about vampires. Um, and then, you know, Bram Stoker came along and wrote an amazing vampire book, you know, 100 whatever years ago. And then vampires were cool. And then they weren't cool again. Mm -hmm. And then they, you know, so it's like these things always change. Um, the Civil War and Dinosaurs certainly it wasn't cool when I decided to write this book, um, but it's about to be. So there but it is, is now. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Be sure to pick up Dactyl Hill Squad at your local independent bookstore or at thereadingbug.com or sign up for our subscription box service at readingbugbox.com and get one in your first box. You may request that. Daniel Jose Older, thank you very much for being here today. It is my absolute pleasure. I had a great time. And we're excited to read the book. Yay. Thanks and goodbye. Cool. That was fun. All right. A very special thank you to Daniel Jose Older for visiting with us today. To buy and find all the great books by him, visit thereadingbug.com slash author visits. Reading Bug author visits are mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings and recorded live in our children's bookstore, The Reading Bug, in San Carlos, California. Please continue to support thereadingbug.com and support independent booksellers whenever you can. For a personalized selection of books handpicked by me and the rest of the Reading Bug staff and delivered to you each month, you can visit readingbugbox.com. Thanks, and we hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye. friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.